Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm so good. I am so excited to talk with you and so happy to hear your voice always. Um, Ah, same, 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 same. Yes, yes. Uh, How's your weekend going? How's how's weather? Does it become spring the same time it's becoming spring all the way over by me? It does. It's been gorgeous the last sort of four days. We've had beautiful sunshine. I've been out in the garden reading and, you know, just trying to build my tan. But yeah, beautiful. Really beautiful. Same there. Well, actually, it gets weird over here in the spring where it gets really cloudy because there's no there's not a lot of rain. So it's kind of been shitty. But you know what? Perfect weather for scary movies. So I'm cool. Yeah, because you get to stay in and watch scary films. It's perfect. And today we're mm-hmm. talking about the best of the bunch of scary movies. We're talking about the Wreck franchise. Yes, I'm so excited. Or, you know, like, people call it Wreck. Is it Wreck? Is it Record? Like, what do you call it? I mean, honestly, I was thinking the same thing because I was wondering... I don't know. I have so many questions about, like, do people even really think of it as recording in the same way when it's something you can quickly delete? I, I, I guess I was just calling it mm. wreck. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, it's wreck. It's wreck in Spain. It's wreck here because this franchise is, of course, banished. Olé. Um, yes. So, yeah. So they call it wreck there. So I'm assuming that we just. You know, it's a universal thing, which is quite nice that it's the same in every country. So true. So cool. Yeah. I think we should dive straight in and talk a little bit about the history of Wreck and how it sort of came about. So, um, again, like with past episodes, guys, when we've spoken about, you know, J-horror and stuff like that, my pronunciation of names is not great. But... (laughs) I will try my best. So uh, Paco Plaza, uh, I think it's Jomi Balaguerro. I'm going to go with that. Are the directors, yes, and are the writers of uh, Wreck. The creators have gone on to, I think, do all of the Wreck films as well as, of course, Mm. the, uh, the American remake which was mm-hmm. Quarantine. So Wreck, right. yeah. Have you seen Quarantine? Should we get this yes. over and done with as quickly as possible? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes I was going to say, let's do that as quickly as possible because I, I didn't <coughs> see it. I went to see it in the theater and I just remember being like, what's going, this is not good. And then yeah. you know, finally watching the source material, I was like, oh, wow that movie really wasn't good because <laughs> it yes. had a lot to work with that it could have kept and I don't know what they did. Terrible. Well, it's funny because we will talk about this as we go through the four movies in the Wreck franchise, mm-hmm. but I think Quarantine suffers from the, the same fate as Wreck 4 
because mm. there's something that happens in Rec 4, which to me ultimately spoils the story, like completely mm. and utterly spoils me. Uh, we will get there, but um, yeah. let's hold that thought, hold that thought about quarantine. So I remember watching Rec for the first time. I was really into uh, my foreign language horror at this point. And mm-hmm. uh, a friend had recommended me Rec. I was, I think I was, I was studying at the time and I was working at a cinema and it was one of my colleagues at the cinema that said uh-huh. to me, you should go watch Rec. It's really good. So I went mm-hmm. to the local store and I bought it on DVD. Remember those DVDs? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I took it home and watched it um, on my own in the dark, which is never a good way to watch this film. <laughs> because, no. um, no. I mean, this was in, what, 2007, I believe, the first mm-hmm. wreck came out around that time? Yep. 2007, yeah. So mm-hmm. even though the found footage, because ultimately this is what wreck is, it is a found footage movie, ultimately the found footage genre had been around you know for well it had been around for a long time obviously but booming mm-hmm. for about seven years to this point since the Blair right. Witch Project yep uh, but this the reason why I think this really really affected me a it mm-hmm. is a foreign language film so you really have to try and like concentrate on it and I think when you're yep. concentrating on something with like subtitles you're also yeah. concentrating, obviously, on the story and what's going on a little bit more. And there mm-hmm. are some really, really graphic sort of moments in this film yeah, that really, right. like, got under my skin. Mm-hmm. So that was my first time watching it. What's your first experience with Rep? Well, it was for this talk. Um, as <gasps> I shared with you behind the scenes, I hilariously kept mixing it up with VHS, which is very different. Also, <laughs> footage, but very, yeah. very different. Um, and very so, different. you know, <clears throat> this was my first experience of actually seeing the original film because I had seen Quarantine and I remember someone being like, oh, you know, it was a foreign language film. Um, but I, I couldn't remember what it was based on. So I didn't make the connection until we started watching it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm a complete idiot because I'm so wrong about the movie that I just started. And also, <laughs> I, I maybe yeah. know what's happening here. But then I was just so floored because of how good this movie was. Like, I was really expecting it to kind of be pretty standard, I guess, like. I'm not even sure where my expectation was because I knew it was going to be good because because you recommended it. So frankly, I was like, no matter what my expectation <laughs> is, it's probably wrong because I haven't seen it and Kate's opinion is, is always correct. So <clears throat> I, I had sort of minimal expectations, but what a thrill ride. I just was, I loved every second of it. I It feels so much more grounded and real than its American counterpart. And so this was, I'm still coming off the high of having just seen it. Ah, <laughs> oh, excellent. I love that. I, I, I honestly didn't know that it was your first experience, which is, um, which is great. I'm a little bit jealous actually, because I always think that Wreck is one of those films that I would love to erase my memory and go back and watch it afresh mm. because it's so twisty and turny and, um, you know, the great thing about Wreck for me 
is mm-hmm. obviously it's found footage. There are some really shocking scenes. It literally takes place in the foyer of an apartment building. That is where the yes. most of the action takes place in that foyer. You're talking, mm-hmm. it, it throws in so many red herrings. So mm-hmm. like red herring about like the dog and the vet, like the dog's gone to the vet because it wasn't well. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of hinting at that maybe it was the dog that started off this this virus yeah. or whatever this was happening. So there was so yeah. many sort of red herrings thrown out there. Mm-hmm. And then when ultimately yeah. it got to the end, you know, it, it sort of takes a little spin and you're looking at a demonic possession story. But But with science... I mean, that is what really Mm. floored me and what still has me on fire as I think about this movie and I'm talking about it now. My favorite thing in the world is when you can mix two things that that actively in real life try to fight against each other and do it in a way that is amazingly convincing and so smart. Like, I remember, you know, as it was going on, because I'm one of those people who has a really hard time not talking with a movie I'm watching. I'm very good at the theater. I have lots of practice, but I struggle when I'm at home because I get yeah. so excited. <laughs> um, <and laughs> as you know, we're getting into that final piece. I am just too excited because I'm like, oh my God, <gasps> you know, I'm losing my mind. And just to yeah. sort of see that they could have taken me, like another thing I like to do is always try to guess what's happening, right? Like I always want to have caught on to the little hints someone was giving me first. And this movie just gave me such an amazing ride where I I could I had like 30 different theories by the end and I still didn't really have the one they were going to go with. Oh, I love it. Yes. Just so good. Absolutely. And I think that um, the way that they introduced the character of Angela at the beginning, she's a reporter uh, reporting mm-hmm. for the nightly news. She's doing um, a, a, she's working on a segment called whilst you're asleep or something like that, isn't it? Whilst you're sleeping where she goes and interviews people that work through the night. So people that are like actively working in the nighttime hours. So in this Mm -hmm. episode that she's filming at the beginning of the film, she is at a a fire station interviewing firemen and women Mm -hmm. about, you know, what they're, they, like nightly duties are and she doesn't expect there to be much going on because she's like hanging out at the fire station they're like playing basketball you know she you can see the rapport that she's building with the firemen which is really nice mm-hmm. and then obviously they get a very you know sort of routine call to an apartment yeah. building uh, where something is happening uh, and you're not quite sure you know it's not a fire so you're not entirely sure why they're going there in the first place. But then right. you suddenly realise that the reason why they're going in there is to basically quarantine the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like they they are there with a couple of other uh, law enforcement people and they're all sort of trying to keep things somewhat under wraps while also just knowing enough about kind of where they are to just do what they can. And man, it's just so, I think that's another reason why I love this movie too, is that this is my favorite way someone's needed to film something for found footage, right? Like this is the one where in real life, 
all it's trying to do is capture something happening in real time. And so to sort of put that on screen and make that happen in such a clever and effortless way, just, I love, you know, it's, it's not a bunch yeah. of friends who just happened to stumble upon something and they were, they had their cameras, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. people doing their jobs, being filmed, doing them, trying really hard to stay with their jobs, which is so interesting mm-hmm. too. And yeah, to just be stuck in the wrong place at the wrong time in this way, every time I've rewatched it, because I've now several times rewatched it looking for more details because it's so good. And there is something really interesting about that. Well, absolutely. And what I love that it also takes sort of a little spin in the middle of the story. So at the beginning, obviously, you've got Angela going in with the fireman to to investigate this building. And then... Mm -hmm. As the story progresses and they try to leave, uh, the authorities outside won't let them. They've all been quarantined inside. So then it comes mm-hmm. from that they're filming because they're trying to make a documentary to they're filming because they want evidence of the way that they've basically been treated because right. you know they want to leave. They feel like that their civil liberties have been mm-hmm. you know taken away from them, and they want to film to make sure that you know. And, and I suppose right. inside. Angela's mind she's thinking this is a great story do you know what I mean like it's gone from me making a documentary about firemen to making Mm -hmm. a documentary about how people are treated in a quarantine and I'm not being funny but we've all been in a quarantine Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean not okay not in a building with zombies although some of you may have if you've been there with family but uh (laughs) yeah you know it's um it's a really interesting way that the the motivations which and obviously when they encounter the first, I mean, they're not zombies. What are we going to call these these uh, things? Possessed? I mean, I guess Infected? I was calling them, yeah, I was calling them demons just because I assumed that, you know, that's kind of what they sort of become. But there is something yeah. interesting about how they can be all of those things because they exhibit all of those things too. And there's something interesting mm-hmm. about how when we're talking about evil, you know, it can take all these faces. I love that that's also Mm -hmm. sort of placed into what these infected people do. Oh, God, (laughs) yeah. So well thought out. No, absolutely. Like you said, the motivations, they really do make these people feel more like true characters, wherein a lot of found footage, they don't really give you a lot of time to to understand these people or understand why they're going to do the things they're going to do. And this movie does such a good job to set that up, even in such simple ways. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. It's um, it's unique in that way mm-hmm. that we've got these creatures or whatever you want to call them, but they you, you really don't know until the final scene where this is going to fall. Is it going to fall in the zombie genre? Is it going to fall in the, in the possession genre? Is it going to fall in the, you know, the genre of, you know, like something like, I don't know, rabies or, you know, some sort Mm -hmm. of disease? It's um, a really interesting one. And when it does fall into the category, Mm -hmm. which um, it's not a spoiler, guys, if you are going to go and watch the film and you don't want it spoiled, I wouldn't listen to this bit. But you are joining (laughs) us. We are going to talk about the sequel in a minute. So um, it does fall into demon possession. Excuse me. I think that's what's kind of interesting because it does. 
but there's also you know a little bit of mystery that's still there where you know that like in one way this exists but you don't know what that actually means when it when it becomes this thing that spreads in a zombie-like way right like i think demon possession the way we've seen it in so many other films looks a very particular way and it doesn't really look like that here which i think is why i love it so much because it's like oh it's going to explain this thing to you in a new way but it could still go down that kind of like rabies pathway where i was thinking to myself oh here is science versus religion once more where from a scientific place a lot of things that look like possession seem like possession have psychological answers like people have done research to create psychological answers just like people do religious research so i i was just sort of thinking like i can't wait to see where they go with this now that they have planted these kinds of seeds absolutely and um i think that the ending if this if this film was meant to be a standalone movie like, the ending is very, very ambiguous. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I, still think to this day, even though I've seen all four movies, I still don't really understand the ending of Wreck One. <laughs> it's still a bit of, a, of an oddity to me. Because, well, you know, you well, go up, you see all of the um, newspaper clippings and, you know, evidence on the walls about a girl who was mm-hmm. supposedly possessed in the, like a long time ago in the past. Right. And this is all in the attic. And then you <laughs> discover that the girl who was possessed is still there, but she's looking quite worse for wear. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that shocking. She don't look great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very shocking. And this is all seen through uh, night vision like a, a night vision camera, which again makes it really scary because what do not, night vision cameras show? Like very little, but in that bright green yeah. sort of colour that we see in um, in Silence of the Lambs. You know, that's another yeah. way that when yeah. that's used, it's so effective. Mm-hmm. And the thing that scares me most about that main scene is that it's so ambiguous and you don't really know what's going on. You don't know what she is. And... Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to know. You know, you hear the recording of the priest. You know, you really want to know what is going on. And before you find out, boom, you know, Angela's on the floor and she's getting dragged into the darkness. And then that's the end. Yep. Uh, I mean, what what did you think about that? Like, how. So go on. Well, I guess what, what I'm wondering is are you like a religious person? Did you grow up? with any kind of religion that would help you make any connections here because I went to Catholic school. I got kicked out of there because I mm-hmm. was too cool. But um, yes, I, I remembered remember you saying. so much. Yeah, I remembered so much when I was watching this and I was just losing my shit when they were mm-hmm. figuring out ways to use technology and science to explain things from the Bible. Right. Like these these interpretations of, you know, um, uh, that things are imprisoned to darkness and like what that means. I was blown away, totally blown away that like part of why you cannot see these evil forces. And if you think about what a ghost does, where it's like an apparition, you can't see that it moves things. 
that was blowing my mind because it meant, oh, you can't see it because it's only visible in the dark. <laughs> obsessed. Yeah. Totally obsessed yeah. with that kind of uh, creativity. And I totally agree with you. Like the second we got to that final piece with the newspaper clippings, I was like, I have no idea what's about to happen, but I am going to explode when it does because holy shit. And then just one shock after another with, you know, what what was going on in there and that creature. I, I couldn't wait to yeah. watch the second. No, absolutely. And there's some really interesting facts about this film that I've done some research on sort of the making and the trivia behind it. So mm-hmm. um, this was quite rare. This film um, had no sets built for it at all. Everything was mm. filmed in live locations. There was no sets built. So all those wow. apartments that they wow. went into, uh, all mm-hmm. that beautiful, very, very cinematic foyer to the apartment building, um, mm-hmm. all of that was was real. You know, there was no, there was no. I mean, obviously there was some set dressing, but there was absolutely no set built wow. in the making of this film, which I always think is really interesting because, you know, it's it's more difficult to do more extreme stuff when you're in a live location because you know if you want to blow some something up and blood goes everywhere you know you have to Mm -hmm. scrub the blood off the walls whereas if Mm -hmm. you've got a set it's not too bad but yeah very brave to go out and do it in in like a a location rather than actually build a set for it i think that's amazing so smart because it really just allows them to think and kind of hold the grounded nature of everything you know, I think like there is something that if you're not careful when you can build anything, you can't creatively figure out, you know, happy accidents in real time. And it just feels like there are so many happy accidents here just in terms of, you know, where people end up standing for things and sort of like creating, you know, the same kinds of shots that you'd see if the camera wasn't so shaky in like a normal film, but with, you know, like really n- no space because it has to be so much smaller than it looks on camera. That's usually how everything looks. So in a way, I'm sure that like the level to which these people were on top of each other, you know, screaming these intense things and feeling these intense things must have been insane. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I I think one of these facts here that I found out about the movie, I think actually adds to your theory. So Hmm. um, the act, were never given a script in its entirety so none of them knew their characters fate sometimes not until the day they were actually filming their scene so this meant that wow. the actors were more often or not stressed nervous and apprehensive on the day of filming ideal <sighs> qualities for the film itself so you could turn up to, to work to film your seat scene and mm-hmm. you could die that day but you just wouldn't know about it I don't, I, I never know how to feel about that kind of filmmaking, but I guess, you know, like as a performer, as an actor, depending on, you know, what really makes you feel like you're doing the work. I think there are some people who love that, who really, you know, get to be able to have the experience in the long term because it truly was real. You know, it wasn't just them showing up to make something. The real part was the fear that they were given and that they willingly played with to make something so good and it was totally worth it here like 
holy smokes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it does remind me of like that guerrilla filmmaking, you know, things like William, um, not William Blackie, um, William Freakin, who, who made The Exorcist, you know, like hiding the guns around the set and, <laughs> you know, sl- slapping a priest to give a, get a performance out of him. Do you know what I mean, I feel like, you know, if there's that element of, you know, unpredictability on a film set, it does make you tense and nervous and, and like really makes you anxious. I mean, not good for an actor, you know, privately, but great for what you see on screen, because I, I, I personally think I'd quite enjoy it a little bit, you know, not knowing mm-hmm. if I was going to die or not the next day. I think it's quite I mean, a good way of doing it. Yeah, there's something kind of like escape room to about it to me where like that same kind of thrill, you know, knowing like, of course, I'm safe and really going to die, but I might have to play death, right? Like I might have to face death in a way today is a really interesting kind of fear that I think a lot of people do like, you know, like, I don't know if it probably depends on the content, you know, whether or not that's something that might be scarring. But I think especially in horror films, it's probably the best part yeah absolutely and um it says here also that the actress who played angela Mm -hmm. uh, was actually a tv presenter in spain so they actually chose her because she actually was a tv presenter but she wanted to go into acting so that's why they chose her for that part so actually people in spain would have known her as a TV presenter at that time, which I'm sure would have actually made it feel a bit more real. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's so... And also, what so I also love about it, the film, it was filmed, and this is very rare. I know that mm. some people mm. might go, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound out of the ordinary, but it really is. This film was filmed chronologically. Mm. So when they filmed it, they filmed it, they started at the beginning and ended at the end that is very rare to happen in the film industry because of like availability because of mm-hmm. you know uh, well obviously sets wasn't an issue here but you know and i think that very very few films are filmed in chronological order i think right. that a lot of actors would love them to be but mm-hmm. they're really really not yeah, so I feel like you that, know. that's probably why it was so you know, thrilling and interesting to be able to play that day by day experience of, you know, not knowing whether or not today was a day you might die in the film, you know, being able to shoot in chronological order makes it that much easier for your actors to truly connect to, you know, the visceral pieces of their performance. And there's something so visceral about, like, every character here, I I loved falling in love with the subtle kind of cultural differences between you know who these people are in Spain versus like who they kind of made them into in the American version and there's just something really nice about you know watching each of these people I guess like really do something because they were invested in this project in a way that (laughs) there's no way that's how they did the American version absolutely no no way (laughs) oh god no oh no way I mean there's scenes that um so around 18 minutes into the film, there's a scene where a young fireman falls from the stairs. Mm-hmm. So not a single actor knew that that was going to happen. So the reactions that, um, of the characters uh, in the film, like the real reactions uh, of the actors themselves, because they just didn't know that that was going to happen. Wow. 
oh my gosh Mm -hmm. that would be (laughs) I don't know actually if I could really do it if I was in this space if they would get some crazy shit out of me but I don't know that they would want to use it because I can't imagine what I would do you know really as a human being because I'm so sensitive you know like I'm I'm the first person jumping when the sound has changed a set like a millimeter louder you know Um, yeah I I have no idea god what that must have been like do you think you would freak out if if you were in that space oh god yeah can you imagine but it is it is like the William Freaky you know like he wants to get reactions from the cast of the exorcist he'd fire off guns to get that reaction but can you imagine if you were just stand. I mean, how did they know that the actors weren't going to be standing right underneath this, you know, <laughs> it, whatever it was, mannequin or like body double thing? How do they know that the actors weren't going to be standing right underneath it when they dropped it down the steps? Right. Yeah. Right? I just think oh. I think about things like that. But obviously it works because I think that is one of the most um, shocking moments in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you happens, don't know... Yeah, you just know you just it's don't about know to get what that worse was. And worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just don't know what that like, what you know, how that happened. You know, at that time, it could have been anything that could have uh, thrown mm-hmm. that guy down the stairs. So I think it's really effective. Right, we've so got effective. some messages here. Mm-hmm. I haven't vetted the messages, um, Danny B. So I'm, I do apologise, but I, I did vet the first one. Uh, nice. Let's not. Question. Can you please say the name of the movie again? Yes. Yeah, it's Wreck. R E C. Wreck. Yeah, perhaps so, short for recording. Rec- <laughs> yeah. So if you look at the film poster, it's got like the little red dot and then Wreck next to it, like, you know, the red dot that you get on a camera when you're filming. So mm. that's what it's short for. So that is what we're, that's what we're looking for. Here we go. I have a real horror story. Uh, I don't really like talking about it, but I'm going to tell you about it quickly. Mm-hmm. I was doing a boiler, boiler service on the house. The customer went to the shops. Um, I had to use the back door. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, um, I went through the back gate. I shut the back gate, um, which was like a big iron gate. She had a brick iron. She had a brick wall all the way around, six foot, mm-hmm. and a fucking dog came out of nowhere, and it just fucking it was dribbling and shit. And what scared me was it had, it had like, its eyes, I swear, were red. And I just mm. thought, like, it must have a rabies or something. I've never seen totally. a dog with rabies, but its eyes were fucking, like, red. Mm. And it came towards me so fast from, like, it went from nothing, from a dead stop to go. And I ran to the back door, which is along the back of the house. I shut the, I got in before the fuck. Whoa, okay, it sounds like he's got his own wreck story going on. Yes, yes. I mean, even that piece is interesting because it they do play on sort of our own realistic kinds of experiences. Like, I have been bit by a dog too, and it was so horrifying. So imagining that, like, if there is a some sort of zombie bug and it comes from dogs, man's best friend, what a great idea you know what a great seed to plant here as they try to kind of throw us uh, about what's going on and where this is coming from oh dogs are the best and so scary <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely now um so wreck one 
ends with Angela alone in the dark, uh, dragged off by a demon girl. Um, so let's gently thread into the sequel, Wreck 2. Yes. Now, I've got, a con- I've got a confession to make, Shani B. Okay. I absolutely love Wreck 2. I actually think Wreck 2 is better than Wreck 1. Okay, so I'm kind of with you. There are some pieces I miss from Wreck 1, but I was just as floored, if not even more on 10 when I watched Wreck 2 because I rolled right into them. Uh, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. stop. I, like, needed to know what was happening next. And, oh, man, I, I stood up when the health inspector began speaking Latin to the zombie. Mm-hmm. I, I stood up and I was like, oh, my God, yes. I <laughs> love it. Love it. I'm, I'm right there with you. So, Rec 2, uh, just for anyone that's listening that would just like a little recap. So, mm-hmm. Rec 2 it takes place literally seconds after Rec 1 uh, ends. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I really, really love about Wreck 2 is that obviously they, they know what worked in the first film, so they have to sort of do that again mm-hmm. for the fans. You know, bringing in another team of people, you right. know, so they... Um, we see a lot of the, the cast from the first film now as possessed, which I yep. really liked, that they'd all come back to play their their demon selves, which is great, the firemen. Mm-hmm. And this new, like, crack team of soldiers have gone in with the health inspector, who turns mm. out to be a priest. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what I really love about it is part part way through the film, that story sort of is put on pause because then we get um, another story that is going on simultaneously with the first story mm-hmm. of a group of kids on the roof um, of the um, of an apartment building. They see what's going on. They decide to go in and investigate. I th- I thought that that element was going to really irritate me, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I actually quite liked it because I thought if they did this thing where the kids break in. And then they investigate and they they are attacked by zombies and blah, 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 blah. And they all escape. Well, mm-hmm. they don't. It's like no one escapes this film. Right. It's a right. bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Absolute bloodbath. And I, there's nothing more that I love of cute little kids being, yeah, let's go to an apartment building with the, where the police are surrounding. And, you know, people on tannoys are saying, stay in the building, stay in the building. Mm-hmm. And they go in and none of them live. I mean, it's kind of awesome because, you know, what they do is they take as much as they could from what we like about the first one. And then they brought in other kinds of found footage types of films, right? Like the idea of the group Mm -hmm. of friends they brought in, the idea of the expedition, you know, filmmaking, documentary style of of what's going on with the priest, right? Like they were able to, again, find a couple other ones that we both know or would buy and then do perfectly like mixing from the two little bits of styles there was such a thrill that i absolutely was getting motion sick (laughs) yes 
And I was like, I have to take a breath, but like, I'm not going to stop watching this movie because it's too good. Yeah, no, absolutely. There was some fast, thick and fast action going on in Wreck 2. They really mm-hmm. step it up, though, you know, oh. sort of the um, the action sequences, the tension. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some story strands that are sort of left over from the first film that are played mm-hmm. out in the second. For example, the little girl. Right. You know, she plays a huge part in um, the second film or in a sequence of the second film. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, one of the things that we all want to know is what happened to Angela at the end of the first movie because we saw her get dragged away, but then we see her in this film and she seems to be relatively unscathed and mm-hmm. still trying to survive and helping out, you know, the mm-hmm. remaining survivors. So what, what, what did you think about them sort of upping the ante in Wreck 2? And what did you think about um, them sort of sticking to a similar plot line but at mm-hmm. the same time, really adding in those elements of suspense. For example, the scene, mm-hmm. I believe it's with the well and like mm-hmm. the clicking, like looking through, um, I think it's through the camera and then in real life and things sort of like are not there and then they're there again, you know, like that mm-hmm. sort of, I can't remember exactly uh, what that sequence was. I watched the Rec films a couple of months ago, back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm relying on my memory on for Rec 2, but there's that sequence where, is it the well? Is it a well? Am yes. I correct? Yes, they yes. go through kind of several hidden doors, again, utilizing, you know, that sort of biblical language and translating it into a modern kind of framework, which I loved mm-hmm. about the first film. And then, of course, absolutely loved about the second, where now, because they had had time to open up, they could commit to this story and continuing to investigate it, which I, I love, you know, that, that sequence when they're sort of going through what is and isn't there using the camera is, is I think why I love the found footage genre because it has no choice but to always be aware of itself. And that's such a challenge yeah. as, as time goes on. And so to, to kind of go back to this time and see how well they did when they were really pioneering is, was so thrilling even in the sequel <laughs> yeah absolutely i think i think my um my question actually was that i didn't word it very well do you think mm. rec 2 having a big bigger budget helped or hindered it i think it helped yeah i think it helped um it definitely helped make sure that by being able to kind of pay to up the ante and support the first they were they connected in such a good way because I really did like how they were able to expand, you know, how big uh, it must have been outside the building. Whereas I think in the first one, they're working really hard to create that depth uh, just visually because they couldn't, you know, they weren't going to put all that, those resources truly outside the door. And so I did like how they tried to do their best to kind of keep expanding the world slowly outside the building, but not go too far because we don't need to. Yeah, what absolutely. You? No, I think that they utilised it in the right way. Do you mean to tell that better story and to be a little bit more experimental, like that sequence where they're going through the hidden doors that you can only see like through the camera. I thought that was such a an interesting idea, and you know, having a priest there to expand on the the religious element mm-hmm. of the story. Um, I love that anyway. 
even mm-hmm. though I am personally not a religious person, mm-hmm. I do like it when they mix religion and, like you said, science before or, you know, mythology together because it just tells of an ancient story. You know, when you're, when you're trying to fight something mm-hmm. um, or, or battle against something or defend yourself against something, if you know that this thing has been around for a very long time, it ups the odds. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like yep. if this thing is ancient and old and knowledgeable and scary, I feel like that you you need to bring your A game. You need to bring so much more to defeat yes. something like that. Whereas if it was something that, you know, Cujo bit someone, they got rabies and then they were just like running around. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So, yeah, I love I love mixing those two things for exactly the same reason. You know, this is another reason why I love talking with you because you're right there with me. And yeah, there's just something so great about their ability, thankfully, to do that in the sequel because, God, they just did such a good job of planting. Like when I finished the first film, I was thinking like, that's exactly what people usually do with a short film they want to expand. And it was just so amazing to watch someone do that to full execution and then see the sequel be sort of like the expanded film. Like, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Kill Bill, you know, a movie that's actually one film but had to be released separately, you know, for for the reason of they just had to wait to make that second film. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're right. I think if you chopped the end credit off of Wreck One, and chopped the opening credits off of Wreck 2 and just pieced them together, it mm-hmm. would be a three-hour movie. Like, there's no... It's it's seamless into yeah. those two films, so even though true. the budget is obviously bigger. So um, it was a much bigger uh, production, and it employed over 300 extras, this wow. movie, because of everyone outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were all real people. So the extras were real people. They weren't actors. They were just people that from the surrounding areas that wanted to get involved and they all just came along and got involved as at playing sort of, you know, like the crowd scenes and stuff outside. So yeah, getting the community uh, involved in the film, I thought was a really nice way of doing it. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, Let's have a look. So the constant presence of the helicopters buzzing, which I really like about this film. I think the soundscape of Wreck 2 is Mm -hmm. really good. Like, the, the buzzing, the crowds, the, the tannoy outside, you know, constantly yes. telling you, stay inside, stay inside, don't leave. You know, it's, it's terrifying. And um, oh. all of that was created by the sound team because the production couldn't afford any real helicopters. So they had to sort of completely do that using soundscape, which if any of you have listened to past episodes or any of my other shows here on Stereo, you know that soundscape is my is my bag. I love creating soundscapes. I've done numerous for theatre productions. Are so you the sound... sure? Are you sure we're not the same <laughs> person? And this is just sort of a multiverse <laughs> situation yes, where somehow are... we've found each other. <laughs> you, I think we have. I think we have opened the multiverse, and oh. uh, we are just the same amalgamation. Yes, but, I um, am. I totally agree about the sound and also the very well way that the sound could fit in with the lighting they could afford. 
because like mm-hmm. that soundscape of the helicopter i specifically remember being like wow i don't know there's no way they could have really shot this because i see the light moving and i can hear the helicopter moving with the light i can hear it but i know it's not it can't be real because it's impossible to get that perfect light without fabricating so that i just remember being like wow they just are doing so much without Mm -hmm. anyone realizing it and the soundscape is so good i love that you love that too so good makes me so happy oh god yeah (laughs) i think that um you could have a film where the visuals are not necessarily great but if you create a soundscape which really works i think um like Mario Brava and and people like Dario Argento um, mm-hmm. create soundscapes so well that go well with their visuals, but you could close your eyes and listen to their soundscapes and they could still tell you the story without you even needing to see the visuals. And I think that that's what Wreck does. You know, like you hear Wreck, you hear the people screaming outside, stay in the building. Mm-hmm. You know, it tells the story. It adds so many layers to it. Yes. I uh, I really enjoy it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. What I really enjoy about Rec 2 as well is mm-hmm. that we get to see uh, a lot of the action through the mounted cameras on the soldiers' helmets. Mm-hmm. So we're skipping from one camera to the next and we're following the characters away in that way. Did you like that? Did you prefer um, that to maybe the single camera that we got in Rec 1? I mean, frankly, it was hard because I think that's what really got me to that space of like being a little bit motion sick because they had more cameras to juggle and showed me more. I was focusing more and that doing that while trying to read was really getting your girl sick. But I I can't say I didn't (laughs) like it. You know, like I, I did like it so much because it just, again, continued to kind of elevate what they had started with. And I appreciated that so much because it did let us be able to have, you know, sort of that B story going on and also a complex A story with, you know, the the dynamic of these soldiers, you know, the priest and these soldiers, the soldiers together, and then the group of friends, like, we we got to know people so much more in the second one. Uh, and, and that's something that was made the first one so good is knowing the people. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely. Absolutely. Um, So in the first film, the cameraman's name is Pablo. Mm -hmm. Um, While in this film, the cameraman is called Rosso. Mm -hmm. So it's actually the same actor. Uh, uh, The actor's name was Pablo Rosso. And he portrayed both characters. So in the first one, he was his first name. And in the second yeah. one, he was his second name. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, That's so endearing. Yeah, they obviously trusted him with the uh, the camera work after the success of the first film. Mm. I mean, it, the camera so, work is so good. It's really good. You know, I mean, like you said, you do get motion sickness uh, because it is there's, there's some sequences that cut away and it's quite jolty. But at the same time as well, you know, you can really tell that every single one of those shots has been sort of prepared for the audience to see um, the most extreme and yet not too much that's Mm going to make you 
like make it overkill if that makes sense right right yeah like the Mm -hmm. however they are going about figuring out that balance it it was just so enjoyable to to be walking that line with them you know like i i haven't watched a a horror film in a really long time where i didn't know what was going to happen or where I didn't know in a moment, like, what to expect, right? Like, I might always, I might not always know where the story is going. I'm not perfect, but I usually Mm -hmm. have an idea of what's going to happen just based on how people are behaving. And it was so hard across this, like, in both. I, my favorite moment, you know, of the sequel is that moment when the priest begins speaking to, you know, the teen boy, and just the performance yeah. of that teen boy and the way he gets pulled by the priest was just such a, so striking to me. It like really sent a jolt up my spine because it was so perfect. Yeah. So perfect. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. It's absolutely spine chilling. So um, at the end of Wreck 2, uh, Angela, who's been running around merrily with these groups of soldiers and priests and teenagers turns mm-hmm. out that at the end of end of wreck one when she was dragged away she was actually um infected or um had a disgusting parasite put into her by mm-hmm. demon lady and that sequence i'm not being funny that was disgusting yes oh that <laughs> was so good um, I remember <laughs> in that moment being like, like, again, just cheering. I had such a hard time not talking out loud during the end of this one, too, because of how engaged I was. And it made me think of um, Jason Goes to Hell. They use a similar kind of idea of how, you know, the, the demon that has uh, awakened Jason is past. And it's through some sort of like worm-like parasite and I just loved how they kind of went there, but did it in such a better way, right? Like, really made it. It's kind of sound like, again. It's oh. sound. It's the the idea of this creature, this parasite, uh, being transferred from one person to another, but in mm-hmm. a way that is so violating. I mean, if you actually really sit down and think about it, and mm-hmm. like Angela is being like assaulted at this point. She's being like massively violated and she's having this, yes. this thing put inside her. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm just going to do like a little sort of dip spin into Rec 3 here. But I think a lot of the issues that people had with Rec 3 was mm-hmm. that this cliffhanger was like really big. Yeah, you know, like we had oh. the, major, the main character infected and not only infected but you know like about to take this this demonic parasite or demonic virus out into Mm -hmm. the real world you know they could have ended it there they -hmm. could have ended it there that would have been like one of the best cliffhangers i think in uh in film history if they had but then they decided to go on Mm. and make wreck genesis so wreck genesis um is a complete an utter departure. Also, very weird that they call this film Wreck Genesis, when in fact, mm-hmm. it's taking place like maybe just a day or two before the events 
in the in the apartment building. But not only that, but it isn't really a genesis. It's just another story <laughs> involving the virus. So what did you think about that? Oh, wow. I, again, felt uh, shocked, but not in the same kind of way that I really enjoyed being shocked in the first few films. Because I agree with you. God, that ending was so good in Rec 2. Like, ugh, perfectly would have been the best cliffhanger if they weren't able to come back. And, you know, for this to be the thing that's happening when they come back, I the whole time I just felt so shocked as to, you know, what is happening here? How did this happen in terms of, like, just being called Wreck, right? Like, it's a real Halloween 3 situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a real season no, of the witch in, in not the right way. Either. <laughs> I love that. I love that. This is season of the witch to the wreck franchise. Yeah, um, I mean, it is, but it isn't. In some ways, it's really weird because, you know, there are a couple of mentions in this film about uh, the dog. Like the dog <laughs> gets mentioned at one point. So yeah. the, the vet who is supposedly operating on this dog is the is the person that starts off you know the infection in this movie so obviously in the original wreck we find out that um the little girl's dog in the apartment building is at the vet because it's been acting strangely and and it's unwell but Mm -hmm. the actual i mean i i really struggle with this don't get me wrong i actually really enjoy wreck (laughs) genesis i think it's actually Mm -hmm. quite fun but at the same time I think that it should not have been called Wreck Genesis because no. a lot of people were were coming to it expecting the Genesis to be the story of um, the demonic girl in the attic. Right. Of course. We wanted to know more about that. Of course. You know, we wanted to know why would you call a film Genesis when it's not a Genesis at all? They should have called it Wreck two days previous or, you know, Wreck. Yeah. Just before what happens in the first one. It's it's no way a Genesis story. No, it made me think, you know, of Cloverfield, basically, and how in Cloverfield, they couldn't really call some of the film's sequels, but they felt like they could occur in the same universe. So they just kind of tap, you know, they're they're Cloverfield laning it, they're Cloverfield paradoxing. And so here we could have just been like red or wreck you know two days before as you said why why use the wrong word and why really switch it up to be just a straight up regular movie right like there was some sound footage elements but this was just a regular old movie shot with cameras and lighting and hilarious score talk about the soundscape change whoa Mm -hmm. did you lose your mind I did. And what even blew my mind more was, you know, they did use the found footage um, format at the beginning in the way of a wedding video, which I thought was quite neat. You know, yes. quite, you know, it wasn't too bad. It, it It's believable. You know, people would have cameras at a wedding. They would film mm-hmm. that. There was some quite comedic moments, you know, <laughs> where... Um, where two people were filming at the same time and it was almost like a little bit of a competition. So I feel like you could have definitely have just stuck with that. But then halfway through the film, we go from found footage to an actual like proper movie. 
yeah. which really made me go, um, okay, this really is a departure. It's I just want to say very, very quickly, the only reason that we really know that this is happening within the Wreck universe mm-hmm. is because, A, like I said before, there's a moment when um, one of the characters tells another that um, about the wound on his hand mm-hmm. was produced after being bitten by a dog that was uh, thought to be dead at the vet clinic. Right. Um, so it's the same dog that was mentioned by the sick girl Jennifer in the original Wreck movie. Right. And then the dog, and then later by the health inspector who said that the dog had come back to life after being put to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second is that there's a moment when uh, Diego is in the control room. It's about mm-hmm. 41 minutes into the film. And behind yep. him is a live TV coverage of the quarantined apartment building from Wreck and Wreck 2. I mean, it really was strange because I had just been listening to an interview about, you know, this idea that, like, do movies exist inside of movies, you know, and, like, what what do we really know, I guess, about, like, how much people in movies know about culture? And this movie was so mm. interesting because it was, like, a real movie about real life that is a movie. And so I just felt like they went to, like, they didn't need to connect it as much as literally that, that opening moment where they kind of throw away, like, don't tell your aunt I got bit by this dog. Like we're back to the party and just having their own thing really was enough. It it felt kind of strange to me that they didn't just come in and have their own event where like when the health inspector comes, they're only coming for the same kind of reason they went to the building, that they know somebody who had contact with that dog is here and they know something's fucked up with that dog. And, and that's it, right? Like, it really could have been its own story. It's so funny how it wanted to be, and it was in so many ways, but still was like, no, 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 but we're not. We're definitely still with you guys. Yeah, you absolutely. And Yeah, no, and I think that, you know, another mistake about having um, sort of, I mean, <sighs> I, I would have I just, like, maybe have liked something like, oh, is Angela... Is Angela coming to the wedding? Oh no, she's she's got to work tonight. Do you know what I mean mm-hmm. just something like that? Just that one line would have been perfect, and then have exactly. found another way to interve- like in- interweave the virus into the story. But mm-hmm. um, so this is another thing that's very odd. At the time that Wreck Genesis was released, mm-hmm. uh, a graphic novel called Wreck Untold Stories was released. Also. And in this graphic novel, uh, mm. you are told the origins of the demonic outbreak. So I'm thinking, right, okay, so you've got Wreck, Wreck Genesis, this movie, which has got nothing to do with the genesis of anything. No. But you've got an, an, a graphic novel that is basically telling the story that you should be telling <laughs> on screen. Yeah. So what is the thought process behind that? I don't understand it. It feels kind of, you know, random. And it it kind of makes me think of when we were talking about Ringu and how strange it got when they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with, you know, releasing movies at the same time for viewership purpose. You know, like it felt like one of those kinds of things where, um, because it's, I think it's the, I think it was the writer of the pair that directed the third one. 
and mm-hmm. maybe it was just sort of like you know he he was more interested in that kind of like zombie love story poppy a little bit more campy vibe and you know but didn't want to I guess like depart too far because it really did feel strange like it was sort of like we we're, we want to give you a chance because you did something really great but we also know what the fans are calling for so let's see what we can do if we do both I just wish they picked the well, order differently <laughs> right I yeah do you know what it. <laughs> I completely agree. Wreck 3, to me, feels like a commercial break. You know, yes, like you watch Wreck 1, you watch mm-hmm. Wreck 2, yeah. Wreck 3 is like the commercials, and then we go back into the story in Wreck 4. I just feel like it's a... Or a fan-made film, or something yeah. along those lines. It just does not sit right with me whatsoever. But the thing mm-hmm. is even though I'm angry at it because it doesn't do that. And because mm-hmm. obviously um, I became a huge fan right at the beginning when it was first released, the Wreck film. So when Wreck Genesis came out, I was so excited. So I really thought we were going to get some answers to the ongoing mystery, obviously, of the, um, the demonic girl in the attic and yeah. maybe a little hint about what it was and what's happening to Angela. Zero, nothing of that. And nope. I was, I just felt really, really sort of cheated slightly, even though um, it was a little bit of like a self-punishment because I did actually quite enjoy it. Well, I was thinking the same thing, you know, like, again, just like how I feel about Season of the Witch, like, if they didn't name mm-hmm. it Halloween and if they didn't call this wreck, there would have been something really fun and sweet about it because you know, of how cute this couple was and how cute the, like, little love story was and how silly, you know, like, the storytelling ended up being, you know, like, he, at one point, he was literally wearing, like, a knight's outfit and he was, like, a knight yeah. in, shining armor, in shining armor, like, legitimately. <laughs> it was just yeah. amazing. And I thought, oh, man, <laughs> this movie really suffers by trying so hard to be in that wreck universe. Because it's just, while it can absolutely be coinciding, it, it had something else going for it that I would have liked to see them be able to go with a little bit more. I would actually say, and this is, um, this is saying something, mm-hmm. but I would actually say that this film has more in common with the film franchise we spoke about last time, The <laughs> Evil Dead. Yes. Yes, it really does. That's such a great, you know, wow. The bride in this film could it could definitely have become like as cult a figure as Ash. Absolutely. Especially the way, you know, the filmmaking was able to sort of like make it very glossy and kind of like turn her into this really interesting kind of heroine. And yeah, I, I agree. Like while I am disappointed with it as an installment, I did enjoy, you know, how silly how silly and cute it was and how sweet the two of them were. Mm. They were just so cute together. Um, I just thought, oh man, this is another one of those cases where like, wrong title, but great time. Yes, wrong title, great time. I completely agree with you. And obviously the two uh, lovebirds at the very end, like meet meet an end, which Mm. is very um, unceremonial shall we say, mm. for, uh, let's just say they didn't get to, uh, to consummate the, the marriage. 
at no. all. <laughs> but, but somehow, but somehow she was pregnant, which I thought was her motivation to really get through this party. And so pretty disappointed with the ending, if I'm honest. It was so cute. Mm. And then it was so dark. Or such a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, some interesting facts uh, mm. about Rec 3. Let's have a look. So, um, I've said about the uh, the outbreak was explained in a graphic novel that we never got to see. Um mm. There's not really that much um, about this film. It's pretty much a bog standard sort of um, film. There was nothing like so. Um, mm. Carla and Code walk through their um, infected guests after they um, are contained by the priest's prayers. <laughs> a similar alternative ending to Wreck had Angela going downstairs through the paralyzed infected residents of the building so they were going to use that idea in the first film of them you know like uh using religion using the priest's prayers to protect Mm. them so they were going to that was an idea that came up right back in rec one which i thought was quite interesting yeah but yeah apart from that go ahead not very not very um much to talk about with rec three very bog standard story very Mm -hmm. strange wait for the franchise to go um not entirely sure what happened i just think that maybe um maybe a little too much money and too much creative power was given to them i think they let it go to their heads slightly Mm -hmm. i mean it could have also been just a really great swing to sort of say look we've got the fan footage thing down we could do it but you know what We're, we're we can also do a real movie maybe what do you think about that? <laughs> and so I think yeah. they, they definitely swung in a way where if, if they were going to do a, just a straight narrative style film, I would still want to see it because they do have really good ideas. They are incredibly creative in terms of storytelling. So I would absolutely be down, you know, to, to just see what they might do when it's not found footage, when it is just the, the big Hollywood style production, you know? Oh, which perfectly leads us in to Wreck 4 Apocalypse. I'm, I'm, excited. I'm excited to hear about this movie because sadly, it's not available in the US. I could not get it. Oh no, so you've not seen it? No, I have it on my... Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'm very good, very good at explaining this. Do you want it explained? Are you okay with spoilers? Yes. Okay. So, sad to hear that this film is not available in the States on streaming services. That's a crime. Mm -hmm. Because this really does, again, um, starts off uh, about three days after the end of Wreck 2. Okay. So, um, no, no, sorry, it starts off immediately. Uh, the, the opening sequence starts off directly um, after the events of Wreck 2. So soldiers go into the apartment building. They plant mm-hmm. explosives because they're going to demolish the building completely because they've lost control. But they hear screaming upstairs and it's Angela. Mm-hmm. And the soldiers go up and they rescue her. 
<clears throat> and then um, then it skips to a few days later, and Angela is being held by a group of scientists on a on a ship on a vessel in the middle of the ocean. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's cool. Okay. Not not only her, but a couple more people as well that are related to the virus. Even which I thought was actually quite neat. Even though I thought, oh, really? It's actually quite <laughs> neat. An old an older lady who was a guest at the wedding. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So basically, Let's they're see. all being kept on this boat. So, um, these scientists are trying to find out basically what the virus is if there's a cure and to understand it a little bit more now i have to say that mm-hmm. um this is the part of the story that really really like disappointed me that mm. they decided to go to steer away from the religious side of it the demonic possession and basically mm. concluded that the um that the whatever it was that was possessing people was actually a parasite. Okay, so in the end, they decided that it was a parasite masquerading as a religious entity, and that's so basically stupid. what demons are. Yeah, <laughs> what stupid. demons are? What are demons? <laughs> They're parasites. Like I mean... it's, it's a parasite. It's a worm living inside <laughs> Angela. She is the host for it. And this thing is basically trying to find like a better host and to um, infect as many people as possible. Oh, and All right. <laughs> yeah. So it all takes place on the ship. There are some in- interesting sequences with the scientists, you know, talking about, um, you know, the evidence that they found in the attic and talking about the girl that she was like one of the the original host of the parasite and it drove her <clears throat> insane and emaciated her but kept her alive because um, it wanted to infect somebody else. But obviously the priest locked it away so it couldn't, in, it couldn't infect, but it kept the host alive. And then right. it, obviously Angela came along and then it infected her. Um, A very, very convoluted story of even though the thing was inside Angela, like she didn't really know about it. And um, one way or another, they managed to get it out of her. Okay. Uh, Not not before it infects somebody else. And then obviously rampage happens. Zombie, zombies, rah, rah, rah. Right. Um, The story ends with... um, the the original parasite the entity has been exposed it's it's out of the of the host mm. and they blow up angela and the last surviving guy who's this like um can't remember who he was he was like some sort of tv reporter or something um mm. blow up blow up the ship and you see the parasite that they blow up the ship and and then angela's Speed boat speeds away, but then of course we get the shot down in the ocean where the parasite is swimming around like oh, wow. it's got no no qualms whatsoever. So um Okay. So here I'm just gonna give you I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you a very brief uh, description just so that I know uh, that I've got it right. So 
Um, television reporter Angela awakes aboard a ship and finds that she is locked in a cabin in quarantine. She escapes <laughs> and stumbles um, and stumbles with Guzman, uh, who rescued her from the apartment building in Spain. They discover mm-hmm. that Doctor Grenard and Doctor Ricard are researching a cure for the, um, for the lethal in, uh, lethal infection in the ship. So Guzman goes to the wheelhouse, mm-hmm. and he is introduced to Captain Ortega. Uh, that is um, that is in his last voyage. Uh, oh, this is absolutely this is on um, IMBD. I cannot. It's it's in unintelligible. I do apologize. Rewind. <laughs> no problem. I can't no problem. read it. I think it's at, I think it may be written by someone from Spain who's tried to write it in English, bless them, but it doesn't make much sense. Well, I appreciate um, that. I'll take that. Yeah, but she basically <sighs> what you find out in Rec Four is that the thing is a virus, is a, a parasite. Sorry, that has mm-hmm. infected people. This parasite has been misdiagnosed as a demonic possession. I'm not entirely sure how this parasite is affected by religion, seeing that the the child in Rec 2 is, you know, when the priest reads out the prayers and gets the crucifix, is obviously affected by that. So I'm not... It doesn't explain how that works at all. But, yeah... (laughs) It's really disappointing. It's really disappointing. And it is filmed like a big blockbuster movie. And the only thing that I like about it is that the actress who plays Angela comes back and, like, is a tour de force. You know, she's a bit of an Ellen Ripley in this film. Okay. But apart from that, but apart from that, I'm sad to say Rec 4 is a huge, huge disappointment. Ah, well, okay. Now I'm not too sad that I couldn't get to it because it is not going where I wanted it to go either. Dang. No. Yeah, that doesn't make no. that doesn't make any sense. That's so random. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I again, I guess I like the idea that like let's do this on a ship because if you're containing a virus, I can't think of really how you do that without uh, on Earth without sort of like being moving and, and on the water. But I don't like that it just kind of is that it goes full science, but not in a way that actually works either. Right. Like you need an ancient science to be able to be unkillable the way that religious entities can be unkillable. So you're shooting yourself in the foot there, which is so funny. And then I'm curious, like what this parasite looks like. Because I remember loving that end of Rec 2, you know, when she's being infected with the parasite, that it sort of looked serpent-like, you know, a little bit sort of like a, like a devil vi- uh, vibe and a snake. And I wonder mm-hmm. what it looked like when it was swimming around in the water. You know, was it an eel? What type of parasite? What? It How could it be looked, a parasite? It looked like... <laughs> It looked like a, a worm that was sort of thicker at the head end and then thinner at the tail end. Not unlike, I suppose you could say, the parasite from the faculty. Hmm. 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 Well, that's kind of but, interesting because as you were talking and they were committing to it being a parasite, I did think, well, if it was an alien, that'd be pretty baller, right? Like if you could hit, if you could tap all of these things, 
wow. <laughs> yeah. However they did. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think they were going with trying to explain like what a demon is or, or what a demon, like, I, like they just really messed up. I love a good demonic possession story and they really should have stuck with that. Like Me they too. should have stuck with that storyline. Have it on a boat. Of course, that's great. You know, like mm-hmm. the uh, survivors of, you know, the various encounters with the with the uh, the, demon, the demons or the demonic possessed uh, people, have them on mm-hmm. a boat, you know, have scientists testing on them, but bring that science and religion back together. Don't go, oh, well, we can't be asked, so let's just have it as a scientific uh, notion of being a parasite. And that's right. it. We've got, we've dug ourselves out of a hole there. I mean, yeah. Wow, that is so disappointing, ultimately. But I'm yeah. so glad that you gave me the spoilers because now when I watch it, I can just look for like what would have been better. And so I love watching yeah. a movie that's not that good. <laughs> I'm okay <laughs> with it. That definitely is the way to enjoy this film. Like to look at the things that they could have done better with it. For me, they should have stuck with the demonic possession storyline. Like maybe the, the the boat in the middle of the ocean was full of priests, you know, who were trying to work out how to how to finally um, sort of put an end to demonic possession or find a way of, yeah. of of fighting, you know, demons more efficiently. And then obviously bringing Angela into the storyline, she could have played a double role, you know, of you know Angela and then possessed Angela. That would have been great to see. But they just didn't oh. give it any sort of thought. Well, especially because it seems as though they've given so much thought to, you know, this is this is science trying to be stronger than religion, you know, with these priests trying their best to use a, a biological way of, of, you know, getting rid of demonic possession. And so for them to not really actually kind of close out that piece of this, which is what they needed mm. to do, kind of stinks, right? Like... Mm-hmm. It would have been amazing to see if possessed Angela continue to talk shit to these priests about how, like, you have always tried to think that you could find some sort of way to beat me with with these things, and you can't. You know, like I'm I'm not something that can be beat. Mm-hmm. And instead, well, they're like, no, it's just a parasite, y'all. Let's try to blow it up. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing ending. I'm afraid to say. The only two interesting facts were, like I said before, the elderly woman on the ship is a survivor of Wreck 3. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she is Coldo's grandmother, so she's the groom's grandmother. Mm. Okay. And the only other interesting fact, it, yeah, if you watch Wreck, Wreck 2, back to back without watching the end credits, the three mm-hmm. movies do actually play out as an entire sequence of events which I think actually is quite neat. Um, yeah. Even though the um, the ending ultimately, for me, I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not saying for other people, but ultimately, for me, the ending fails. Right. If you do watch those three films back to back, it is a, um, like a whole sequence of events, which is actually quite cool in some ways. So true. Yeah, it's like they you know, they're definitely pioneers in in a sense because they're really trying to build a whole world and an entire universe from found footage uh, in a way where, like, you know, it, it kind of just gets stuck doing the same thing over and over again, especially over here. 
I think after this happened, then they really start to do some similar things, but they can never really capture the magic of those first two. And man, I'm, I'm so no. sad that the fourth can't either because it, it's such a unique franchise, especially because of the, the quirks, like being able to connect all three of these movies, even if the story can't work, still figuring that one out in an effortless looking way. Yeah, they could have done a lot better with the story. I, I, I think that maybe the issue was, even though there were members of the original writing team and directors for Rec 4, I think mm-hmm. that maybe they were they were sort of distracted or maybe they had other work coming in, so it didn't yeah. have their full attention. That's what I feel like the problem, the letdown with Rec 4 is. It doesn't have the full attention of the creative team. It's almost like they had huge success with Rep 1 and 2. They loved that. I personally think that's where the story should have ended. I don't think we actually needed any more after that. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, Rec 3 was a bit of a you know, spoof, shall we say? A bit of like the scary movie to scream in some respect. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like Evil Dead, you know, Army of Darkness at a wedding style yes. sort of movie and I don't think we needed Rec 4 I honestly nope. don't think we needed Rec 4 at all mm. but unfortunately we did get it and uh, I know a lot of people say well you don't have to watch it well <laughs> I am a completist even though I yeah. don't like it I do sort of have to watch it I'm a completist so it's important right it's mm. important to never forget <laughs> no absolutely I just wanted to uh, bear me one I think I might have lost you. No, 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 it's me. I'm still here. Sorry, I was just um, taking a big sip of my drink because um, <laughs> I didn't want you to, you to hear me go. <laughs> oh, I liked it. I'm into it. Oh, thanks. I should have just done it, shouldn't I? But um, <laughs> So there's two, uh, very quickly, before we uh, round up on the Wreck franchise, uh, we did mention earlier the uh, quarantine movies and I did say to you that my problem with quarantine was my problem with Rec 4 and that was that they ultimately didn't make it about religion and the demonic side of the story Uh, quarantine doesn't either quarantine goes down the route of it being um, a a virus an illness uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't go down the religious route at all. So. Yeah. So mm. disappointing because it, like, I guess it is pretty telling just of like, you know, how American audiences like to think about zombies. And, you know, that's what makes the Wreck franchise so good because it challenges you to think about zombies in, in other ways. And I am curious as to, you know, is that because maybe religion is something that has a little bit more of an impact in Spain than maybe it it does in the religious, I guess, like horror audiences in America. I don't know how religious they often are because I feel like uh, we get a lot of nonsense for liking scary movies over here from religious people. So I don't know how many mm-hmm. of them watch and maybe that's why they don't, they, they didn't think to, to at least see what they could do with it over here. Truly disappointing. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, the people that are usually outraged by films have never actually seen the film they're outraged by, <laughs> it, which I always find really odd. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like, oh, that interview with uh, with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, awful, terrible. Did you watch the interview? Well, no, of course not. Oh, well, great. Well done, dickhead. <laughs> yes, but... exactly. It's, it's a baffling, you know, like that sort of mentality. But you're right. I do think that in uh, Europe and even in the UK, I mean, I'll talk to you about something very quickly in a moment. But in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. we're very upfront with bringing in uh, religion to horror on a very deeper level. And I do think that uh, in the States, I think that if you bring religion into a horror film or anything like that, I feel like studios think they might alienate their audience a little bit so they don't necessarily feel comfortable with doing that but um i find it funny how quarantine 2 um has quite a good rating on rotten tomatoes 75 percent what yes to quarantine 2 a plane is taken over by a mysterious virus when the plane wow. lands, it is placed it under quarantine. Now a group of survivors must band together to survive the quarantine. So basically, wow. um, yeah, quarantine two, terminal. So it's all set on a plane. Um, I think the only way that it links again to the original quarantine slash wreck continuity is that they are watching um, a news report on the flight of the building being ah. uh, quarantined so it is linked in that way but yeah Hilarious. this has got not not too bad um reviews would you have liked um maybe uh instead of wreck genesis at a wedding maybe would you have liked to have seen maybe wreck genesis or one of the wreck movies take place on a plane i don't know actually because i feel like that that kind of takes us away from being from the the part that you and I both like the most, like how what kind of demonic mm. possessions really occurring on a plane, and what kind of I've been on many flights I've been on many flights where I think I've seen someone possessed by demons it uh, mostly because they hadn't got their nut, but yes. um <laughs> maybe you read about that actually, huh. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting concept about having uh, the story taking place in many other locations. You know, in the original Wreck films, we've got obviously the apartment building and then we've got a wedding, which is happening quite uh, close uh, by to the apartment. And then we have Wreck 4, which takes place on a boat. Of course it does. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I suppose, but Wreck, uh, two uh, terminal. Sorry, quarantine two terminal takes uh, was filmed before uh, wreck apocalypse. So maybe they got the idea of mm. you know having it on a on a vessel from that. But got not bad reviews. You know, on Amazon it's got four out of five, four mm. stars out of five, and seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I think you should. Have you seen Get it out there and check out? Yes, ages ago. And I remember it being actually quite enjoyable. Okay. Uh, nothing to write home about necessarily, but actually, but enjoyable enough to to sort of watch it and get excited and, you know, it mm-hmm. take place within that sort of 
quarantine world, but not really mm-hmm. in, in the rec world. Hmm. All right. I mean, I will check it out. I feel like I saw it around uh, streaming, so I'll try to check it out. I just honestly didn't really like the first one, so I was like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm actually good, Um, but I (laughs) should check it out. Yeah. Well, I think the world universally agrees that quarantine uh, didn't need to happen. But here's a (laughs) shocking fact for you. Did you Mm -hmm. know that Rhett wasn't available in the united states until after quarantine was released wow wow that's so interesting to think about but that makes so much sense because i remember hearing you know when quarantine came out that that's what it was and that's kind of like the beginning of us after sort of like really opening it up with starting to do adaptations of j-horror that's when I think we really started to be like, we're just going to like kind of be stealing the best movies from other countries and making them here for a little while. We're just going to start doing that. So it makes so much sense that they, they wouldn't want mm-hmm. you to see what they were kind of stealing from until you've seen theirs first, maybe hopefully get you on their side. But that did not work because I was real disappointed with the American quarantine and, oh man, so floored and stoked with the original wreck uh and and that franchise god the first two so good three's its own thing someday i'll see four um and hopefully i yeah. can feel you know just like a just like a completist i've gotten it done and and now we're we've done our due diligence <laughs> yeah no exactly and what i will say is uh to round up i think if you really want to enjoy the wreck film and you're in, and you want to see the best. Watch one and two back to back, and then if you can, if you have spare time, if you you know if you've got nothing else to watch, or you know we're we are back in another lockdown, uh, watch <laughs> three and four. Yeah, but yeah, I, but I wouldn't say yeah if you have time, but don't worry about it too much. But if you, uh, but definitely, definitely watch uh, Wreck One and Two back to back because that will be that's a night to remember. Yes. Wreck One and Two back to back, hundred percent. Just very want to quickly mention a couple of films um, mm. before uh, lockdown three because in the UK lo- the lockdown has been a trilogy. Um, we mm. uh, had the cinemas open for a little while and a mm-hmm. film played in the cinemas called St. Maud. Mm. Uh, and I will have to... Uh-oh. I lost you there for a second. Oh, sorry, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yes. So, St. Maud, uh, mm-hmm. very, very impressive film. Uh, mm. I loved it. Actually ended up going to see it in the cinema three times. Whoa. Um, nice. It's fantastic. It's a British film, a very, very low budget, but the performances, like, mm. you've never seen anything like it. It is just one of those films that you just cannot take your eyes off of the lead uh, actress who plays Maud, who uh, is a nurse, who is, um, she's a private care nurse who is caring for a, a dancer who has cancer, and uh, she's Ooh. got a very dubious past. 
So, yeah, if you can, St. Maud, directed and written by Rose Glass, who I think is going to be huge in the horror industry in the next few years, to keep your eyes on her. Okay. Uh, She's absolutely fantastic. And it is a masterpiece. And, of course, I just want to quickly say to... um, Shani B and our and our listeners, our long term listeners, uh, if you go back um, a few weeks now, we did an episode about the Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Well, this week they released the trailer to uh, Conjuring Three. I just wanted to really quickly hear your opinion on it, uh, Shani B. I am so so very excited, and was so excited to briefly talk about it with you too, and get your opinion because it's interesting to see how you know, it's coming closer and closer to what I get to remember as like a quote unquote modern times and how excited I am for that. You know, like there's mm. some fun, interesting novelty about, you know, the, the films that are kind of in the 60s and 70s and there feels something, there feels like there's something safe and, and kind of distanced about those ones. But, you know, the 80s is, I'm born in the late 80s, so I'm like right there and it's just I'm so excited. I had several moments in that trailer with the hair on the back of my neck kind of standing up and just getting so excited for Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson to come back. Ugh, I'm so stoked. It looks pretty scary. And of course, oh good, it, it looks really good. And of course, the biggest news, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure whether you know this or not, Tani mm. B, but the biggest um, news uh, regarding The Conjuring 3 is that it is released on June 4th at theatres and on HBO Max. This I did know, and this I am so excited for. <laughs> I'm going to see it both times, so, right? Like, I'm going to go to sure. the theatre if I can, but I'm so mm-hmm. stoked that I'll be able to come right home and watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is, to me, the future now of uh, film distribution because if a film can be released on a streaming service it cuts out the um excuse the phrase middleman or mm-hmm. middlewoman or you know whoever's dealing with that whole thing of you know bringing it into the theaters into the cinemas because that creates a lot of marketing um mm-hmm. and obviously the cinemas or the theaters take a cut of the mm-hmm. of the proceeds but mm-hmm. if you can do this if you can release films like this uh, on HBO Max, on Netflix, on Amazon, you know, simultaneously, of course, have them in the theatres. But mm-hmm. a lot of people would, would want to have that um, that experience at home because, A, it's uh, more comfortable for a lot of people, especially yep. if people are still worried about the, uh, the pandemic. And secondly, mm-hmm. um, you can have your own snack. I mean, you don't Yay. have to spend so much money on popcorn and and drinks and everything. You can just sit at home and, you know, maybe have a salad. Just saying. (laughs) I mean, I totally agree. You know, I think there's something interesting and kind of like performative about how uh, seeing a movie in the theater, we've like forgotten why it's important to see certain movies because we've gotten so used to kind of seeing every movie there. And there's something kind of nice about maybe bringing that experience back to you know, being in a soundscape that's worth being in and being surrounded by. So when I see a movie at home, I, I'm going to the movies because I really want to, 
not just because you're forcing me to, because there's no other way for me to get access to a movie I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. And so I oh, love... yeah, absolutely. I think you're correct. And also, yeah, I'm not being funny. I'm not mm-hmm. being funny. Like, theatres, especially some theatres, big chain uh, theatres here in the UK, uh, the price is ridiculous. Like, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know that it is in the States as well, because when I go over and visit my my cousins in Colorado, we go to the cinema like mm-hmm. two or three times every time I visit, because I do love going to uh, the theatre, the cinema in America, because it just feels so much bigger to mm-hmm. me. And um, I think the last time I... What did we see the last time? The last time I went, I saw uh, Halloween and the girl something the girl with spider's nest or something it was like the girl with the dragon tattoo movie yeah and um i was paying at the counter and i was just looking at the the cashier saying how much (laughs) (laughs) i'm watching a film a movie i'm not watching a live performance of ian mckellen in friggin hamlet no no it's so exactly you know if i'm going i want to have chosen to go i don't want you to continue to force me to pay for things that like i don't really want to see the way that the theater requires me to see them you know there's just some Mm -hmm. movies where it is kind of a hang and a vibe and so i didn't need to see it on an enormous screen to be really comfortable and cozy with it and on my couch and I'm paying every single month for these services, it, roughly the cost of a ticket. And if everybody went to the movies one day a month, that's so much more money than, you know, spending millions of dollars and expecting people to go see a movie in the theater that they're not going to go see. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. much better. And if, you're, and if you're like me, we have, um, we have means in the UK. We have like Cineworld, which is one of our biggest... Uh, cinema chains uh, offer mm-hmm. a unlimited card so you can come and watch unlimited movies for maybe $20 a month, which is, I personally think for me, quite mm-hmm. a good deal because mm-hmm. I will go and watch everything, like or new releases every week. No matter what it is, I'll go and watch it because I love film that much. So that's not too bad. But to have mm-hmm. that option of, you know, you've had a hard day at work, you don't really want to go out, you just want to get some food and sit and watch a, a movie and to have the opportunity to watch a new release. Mm-hmm. To me, it's great. Uh, and I don't really see a problem with it. Am I concerned that theatres and cinemas are going to really struggle because of COVID, obviously, but after COVID because of these right. streaming services that are putting the new releases? Yeah, I am concerned. I do think that um, a lot of cinema chains are really going to struggle and may not even survive it. But at the same time, I think that if people who are who really are film fans mm-hmm. know that um, to support those businesses, but at the same time, you have the choice to watch mm-hmm. a, a film however you want to watch it. Don't be, um, like Shani B said, don't be shamed into having to go to watch a movie at a cinema and pay stupid amounts of money to, to do so. No. Nope, especially because I'm with you. I am the person who is a member of that club, so I can go as much as I want. And that's really a unique type of person that 
maybe they could pull back a little bit on, you know, going to the movies and that whole industry, because it really has blown up into something that kind of takes, you know, the great experience out of it sometimes, you know, it's, it's sad that we don't have as many drive-ins because I think people are beginning to realize the difference between going to the movies on a Friday night just because like that's what everyone does because there's something out to being like, no, I'm going to like really participate, you know, like really mm -hmm. be there with a story or with some filmmaking. And there are a lot of huge movie chains in the U.S. that are going out of biz because they all have, you know, 30 movie theaters. And you're like, I think five is good, right? Like, yeah. if every movie theater had, like, roughly ten tops, even the big ones, we could keep movie theaters going, we could go to movie theaters for movies that need to be in the theater, and we could just maybe not always be about the excess all the time. Yeah. And also, guys, like, I know that the big chains are more easier to maybe get to or maybe they're showing the films that you want to watch or maybe they just do the snacks that you like but <laughs> what i try to do is go to the more independent cinemas and to fund those because they're the ones that are actually doing a lot of the grassroots work i.e showing films from small um film companies or first-time mm -hmm. directors or short films you know like mm -hmm. those really experimental stuff so um film for me is is sort of coming away from these big blockbuster you know like have to see movies now i'm more right. interested in those indie independent films uh that are like like i said uh saint maud you know very yeah. small independent film written and directed right. by uh, a great new director rose glass and mm -hmm. you know has become a hit so i think that we need to support the little guy in this yeah. situation rather than those big chains that, you know, are going to charge you literally an arm and a leg just yeah. to enjoy a film that you probably yeah. don't want to see anyway. Well, we need to do a little bit of both, right? Not the big chains when it comes to the theaters and not just the big flashy budgets when it comes to the films, right? Like actual mm -hmm. creative storytelling where you have somebody making a small story and amplifying it because ultimately that, that is what we were talking about today with Rec. Right. Like this is a story that was so perfectly small that it could be larger. And I want there to be more movies like that because I absolutely would have gotten sick. But I would have seen both of those films in the theater if I had access to them. The first mm -hmm. two, at least. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I probably would have thrown up, too. No, <laughs> for sure. But um, who knows? Who knows what? the cinemas are going to look like after covid but what i will say is i have no doubts whatsoever that me and shani b will be on stereo the saturday after uh, mm. the conjuring 3 is released absolutely analyzing the hell out of it because i cannot wait ditto ditto it is a date yay right well i think that's wrapped up um today's uh, episode so thank you very much shani b Thank you very much for everyone that tuned in and listened. Like I said, go away and uh, watch Rec 1 and 2. Uh, we never give you a bad recommendation. Nope. Uh, so you can you can trust us. Wink, wink. Um, yeah, so thank you very much. It's been lovely, and I can't wait to do this again with you soon. Ditto. As always, love talking with you. You have the best recommendations. And I can't wait either. <laughs> Have a lovely rest of your day.